1: the trial of Sam Bankman freed.
0: She had the receipts that showed that he pretty much directed her to commit this fraud and to use customer funds, lend out customer money. So, um, you know, I'm curious what unique things that he he will will say. He's obviously really trying to save himself from from that sentence. Um, But at this point, I would be very surprised if the jury came back with anything other than a guilty verdict.
1: Welcome back to The Trial of Sam Bankman Freed. I'm your host, Kelly O'Grady, from over at Fox Business, So listen, the big headline today is that Sam Bankman-Fried is taking the stand. Now, this is the moment, of course, we've all been waiting for in this trial. Now, plans could always change, right? So I do have to caveat he's expected to take the stand, uh, but the defense could always change their mind at some point. So let's walk through the timeline for a second to kind of give you a sense of where we might be going. So court is back in session tomorrow, that's October 26th, and the defense shared that they do plan to call SBF to testify after a quick witness or two in the morning. If he does take the stand, the defense would question him, then the prosecution would get their opportunity to cross-examine him. And timing-wise, that would likely take us through the end of the week, right? He's, He's an important witness. Remember how long Caroline Ellison was on the stand for taking questions from both sides. The defense would also get an opportunity if they desire to re-question him in what's called redirect. And then the prosecution gets another crack at a recross if the defense were to take that opportunity. So basically, right, to sum it all up, it's a lot of ping pong that we're in for, especially on the most critical person to take the stand uh, in the entire case, right? These past few weeks, we've been watching and waiting to see if he takes the stand. So if you play that all out, We could actually be looking at closing arguments come Monday or at least early next week. And then you've got deliberations, right? It's in the jury's hand. In some cases, we've seen them make a decision within an hour. And then you look at the Elizabeth Holmes case, and it took them a couple of weeks, even around the holidays, which normally you'd be pretty motivated to come to a decision then. So really anyone's guess on how long that takes. But I just want to frame it up for you, because the past couple of episodes, we've been talking about what an SBF testimony could look like. Right? Taking the stand is incredibly risky as a defendant in your own trial. It's a Hail Mary at best. But it also means the defense thinks the jury needs to hear SBF's narrative. And that can be powerful. Right? He convinced storied investors and celebrity that he's the real deal in the past. But then again, Does hearing from the MIT grad who in this trial has been painted as living the high life come off to a jury as someone who did get in over their head that didn't mean to defraud investors and customers? Or does it come off as someone who played fast and loose with customer money and just simply didn't care? And we've heard from his inner circle that turned on him and it's been damning. But we haven't gotten that smoking gun, regardless of how you might feel in your gut. I mean, if this was the court of public opinion, uh, it's already done, right? He's guilty. But tomorrow, it becomes he said, they said. And who does the jury believe? And the next few episodes, of course, we're going to break down every detail of what Sam says, how it fits into that larger picture from what we've seen in the trial, and what we could expect from the jury. But if you haven't listened to the last couple episodes, I highly recommend checking them out. We had Kevin O'Brien on last week and Sam Enzer on earlier this week. Both are former prosecutors turned white-collar defense attorneys. I got their take on what an SBF testimony could mean, and they really brought a lot of nuance, a lot of insights from their previous experience. For example, uh, a couple of things that really stood out to me, anything he says could be used in his March criminal trial or all of those civil cases against him. And if he's found guilty, his testimony, the simple fact that he took the defense or rather took the stand in his own defense could anger the judge when it comes to sentencing and all those years behind bars he's facing. But both Sam and Kevin agreed it's going to be a very human moment in what, thus far has been very focused on numbers and spreadsheets, and they both agreed it is the only chance he has. For now, though, we know what's to come. We're still on a break from court. So actually, I want to turn to what this uh, could mean for the crypto industry and what's going on in the broader market. So let's bring in Natalie Brunel, host of the Coin Stories podcast. She's a former producer, journalist, anchor, professor. I was actually really shocked at all the things she's done looking at her LinkedIn earlier. And literally the most understandable human I've ever heard talk about crypto. So welcome, Natalie. We're so excited to to talk to you today.
0: Well, thanks so much for having me.
1: And, you know, going back to what you said earlier about
0: whether or not SPF is actually going to show up, I'm actually reading the book about his rise and fall by Michael Lewis called mm. Going Infinite. And he has the pattern of not showing up at the last minute. So you never know. But it's definitely going to be interesting to see how this plays out.
1: Absolutely. And so right off the bat, you know, I kind of wanted to get your take on what we could maybe hear from you know what you're interested to hear from his perspective because certainly we have seen him get out there before craft his own narrative you know he was talking to the wall street journal the new york times gma you know you name it he talked to them uh what do you think uh we're gonna hear are we gonna hear someone who just really didn't know what was going on and and do you think that it's going to be convincing
0: Well, that's the thing. You know, he tried to get out in front of this. He went on all those media platforms and talked to influencers trying to paint the picture that he really didn't know what was happening and that he's innocent. So I'm not sure what new information he's going to provide. And if you did follow the testimony of his ex-girlfriend, the CEO of Alameda Research, Caroline Ellison, she had the receipts that showed that he pretty much directed her to commit this fraud and to use customer funds, lend out customer money. So, um, you know, I'm curious what unique things that he he will will say he's obviously really trying to save himself from from that sentence. Um, But at this point, I would be very surprised if the jury came back with anything other than a guilty verdict.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I think from everyone that we've talked to thus far on the podcast and I mean, you just go on social media, this whole thing played out in the very beginning uh, on Twitter and on social media. And certainly the trial has as well. And that's kind of the prevailing theme that the jury is likely going to come back with a guilty verdict And so that kind of brings me to my next question of what could a guilty verdict mean for the broader industry? Um, You know, is is crypto on trial here almost because you've got this very public figure that had been kind of a, a face for at least part of the industry? Or does it mean, hey, you know, we're getting rid of the bad actors and the crypto industry is becoming safer? What do you think?
0: Yeah, a bad crypto actor is on trial. Certainly, Bitcoin is not on trial. And I hope that through watching this and and hearing the testimony and really better understanding what FTX was, people start to really take into consideration the difference between Bitcoin and a lot of these other altcoins. You know, SBF created his own money. He essentially counterfeited money. He printed an air token called FTT, and then he used it as collateral to extract actual money and Bitcoin from customers who did not know what they were essentially investing in. And what's really sad about all of this is the people who, who trusted him, who gave their life savings, who were just probably hoping to you know, be able to take care of themselves in the future, maybe pay off a student loan or take care of their family, And they got wiped out uh, because of his reckless and irresponsible behavior that was, at the end of the day, so unethical. Um, So, you know, I feel so sorry for the people that lost money, but I hope that industry-wide, it's a massive lesson and it's a moment to pause and consider the differences between Bitcoin and crypto.
1: Yeah, I think that the point that you made about the customers, um, it's certainly something that's come up in trial a lot. You know, we've heard from a number of customers. Uh, The the sort of good news is it looks like the bankruptcy process uh, is going to give back a bunch of money, maybe even 90 percent was the figure I heard recently but it's still not 100% you know and and, it, and it's still not all of those months of agony that those customers had to go through wondering if they were ever going to see that money again but you mentioned bitcoin and so i just pulled up the price of it because i mean we are seeing a nice little bump actually not even little it's it's up what 18% in the past 5 days so right now uh it's 34,973 we're hovering right under that 35,000 mark, what is going on with the market, right? Because the, the past couple of months, you know, it was started to see it tick up. But really, in the past few days, there's been that that nice bump. So what's your take on it?
0: Well, the way we're going, we might actually have a new all-time high by the time the verdict comes out. Um, no, I'm that. joking. But <laughs> uh, you know, I think that Bitcoin is responding to the, the larger macro picture. First of all, there's been some speculation that a spot Bitcoin ETF might be approved in the near future. So that's a very bullish signal. We have legendary investors and people who once did not believe in Bitcoin like Larry Fink turn around and say that it's a flight to quality. Um. So so those are some bullish signals, and then we of course have the macroeconomic picture as the Federal Reserve tries to to keep rates high and and tries to you know bring down inflation. What we're seeing is some breaking, some cracking in the Treasury markets, and and an overall I think realization that this system that we are currently in, the amount of debt that we have is unsustainable. Once mm-hmm. you hike interest rates at to a certain point, we will not be able to fund the government. And so I think people are starting to realize that and seek safe haven assets, which ironically is Bitcoin. I know a lot of people have seen it in the past as sort of a risk on asset. I think that we're starting to make that turnaround and it's becoming a risk off asset because it's something that the government cannot print that someone like SBF cannot print, right. and uh, and people are seeing it as really that hedge and insurance policy for a system that has so many
1: cracks around the around the edges. And that was the the attractive piece, right? Uh, back when it was over sixty thousand, that this could be a hedge against inflation. We sort of started to read the tea leaves, and I, I think the point that you make is excellent. That you just simply can't keep printing it or minting it, I guess, in in this case, uh, but printing it as you can the U.S. dollar, which certainly is, is something that I think a lot of folks have trepidation about as we see where this economy is going, you know, the debt that we're dealing with. You mentioned, though, uh, a spot Bitcoin ETF. I'm glad you brought that up. For our listeners, can you explain what that is and what that could mean for the market? Yeah. So an ETF is
0: essentially just a simpler investment vehicle. So it would mean that a firm actually has to purchase Bitcoin and it would track the price of the underlying asset. And it would make it a lot easier for traditional investors to get into the space because it would be a securitized version of Bitcoin. So that means, you know, your traditional brokerage accounts pension funds, RIAs, it would really open up a lot of demand in the space. In fact, there was a recent report from, I believe it was Galaxy Digital that said once a spot Bitcoin ETF gets approved, tens of billions of dollars will flow into Bitcoin. And obviously, being that it has that finite supply, 21 million, and much of the supply actually hasn't moved in the last couple of years, people are holding even in the drawdowns. That means that the price is likely to go up. And also, we have a halving next year. And for people familiar with Bitcoin, that means that the supply being issued uh, through Bitcoin mining is going to be cut in half. So that's kind of a supply shock that also generally coincides with the price going up. So it's really not surprising that, you know, we've seen the the you know
1: Bitcoin price inch its way up, but we still are a long way off of that all-time high. Sure, but hey, I, I like what you were manifesting. Maybe, maybe we'll get, we'll get a new all-time <laughs> high. Uh, maybe not by the verdict, uh, but but maybe in the next couple of months. But you know, I, I think you're referencing um, the note, the research note by by Galaxy that came out yesterday, and they, they said it was like 14.4 billion. I, I think mm-hmm. that if they were to have uh, that spot ETF or spot Bitcoin ETF, you could see and. I'm really curious to see how that would play out because I think, to your point, it could get a lot of the more institutional investors. It would project an air of safety, um, you know, that it's it's not this, you know, black market or or anything like that. Which, of course, we've moved away from significantly, but there still is some of that that stigma. I think in the minds of more traditional, um, risk averse investors. And so that kind of brings me to some of the things that we've been seeing from a PR perspective. You know, we have seen uh, the SEC, the CFTC start to first fight over who controls this, which we can get into in a second. Um, but there there have been a lot of suits, uh, the SEC cracking down on Coinbase, on Binance. Um, what kind of message is that sending to the market? Is that creating more trepidation for folks who are established or is there more a welcoming of that that regulation move
0: well what i see is that there's greater and greater clarity around only one thing in the space and that is bitcoin when you look at all these lawsuits and complaints that are filed, they are over what the SEC says are essentially securities. Um, and so they're concerned about that, and and rightfully so, because when you're issuing equity and you're not fully disclosing everything about the currency or token you're issuing, then that could really put investors at risk. So if you look at all of these lawsuits, including what we're seeing with FDX play out, I think it's really strengthened the hand of the regulators to go after all of these other altcoins, meanwhile, recognizing that, hey, Bitcoin is the one true commodity and it is the thing with the least amount of uncertainty. So I think institutions are perking up. They're seeing that. And we also have to remember that come, I believe, January, FASB rules will, will be changing. So fair accounting will allow for companies to be able to mark up their Bitcoin, not just mark it down on their balance sheets, which has made it kind of prohibitive for a lot of companies to put Bitcoin on the balance sheets and in their treasuries. That's about to change as well. So we, we really see the industry overall growing up. We see the bad actors starting to wash out. And Bitcoin is really the winner in all of this. And I, I hope that people take the time. Time to really, really learn about this opportunity because um, it's a transformative technology and we haven't really seen that emerge since the internet. And before that, I would say it was the printing press. Um, so this is truly revolutionary and, and I'm excited for more and more people to start to,
1: to start to understand that this is a legitimate asset class. And I think, you know, right now, especially what's happening with the price, with that spot ETF, it is starting to maybe come through a lot of that noise. You know, there's so many different coins out there. And, and you know, to your point, we've had a number of bad actors that have come to the forefront, of course, with this trial that's drumming that up. But I, I did want to get your take on something that's been in the news the past couple of weeks with uh, the Israel-Hamas war that's happening, where Folks are our start, I think it was The Wall Street Journal that first reported it, but we've done some reporting over at Fox Business. You know, talk to uh, Bitok, which is a, a Tel Aviv uh, crypto analytics firm, that Hamas and and some of their allies, like the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, have been using crypto. Now, a lot of folks that I've talked to um, in the industry are saying, well, actually, you know that that's a good thing because any transactions that are made, let's say someone donates to uh, a Hamas-linked wallet on an exchange or something like that, you can actually track that transaction through the blockchain. Which, for folks that that aren't aware, it's like a call. Think of it as a a public digital ledger that records everything. Um, but once, like, let's say if you're not donating to a wallet that's, that's on an exchange, that it's sort of uh, held separately, or there's a number of different things that I've been hearing, crypto mixing, where you can kind of launder the, the crypto, think about it as laundering the money. I'm curious what your take is on all of that, because, you know, th- this is playing out very, very publicly, you know, social media, on different networks, on online publications, you know, everyone's talking about this war that's happening. And then crypto starts to come into it a little bit in terms of how Hamas has been financing things. What does that do, in your opinion, uh, to the PR around the space?
0: Sure, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, first of all, the people in in the bitcoin space, they are really looking for a retraction from the Wall Street Journal for that reporting because they uh, mistakenly associated the address of an exchange which may have, you know, millions of people's wallets for a single wallet and so mm. they overestimated the amount of financing by more than 99%. And so the the reporting in this space, I know that it's difficult to understand some of this technology and the nuances, but you have to, you know, do your verification and your due diligence as a, as a reporter, because to put out that kind of information um, really is, it's irresponsible. And so, you know, just like any form of technology, it's going to be used by good people as well as bad people, right? There's that saying that you have a knife it could be used by a surgeon or by a criminal. And so, of course, this as well as internet technology at large, it's going to be used by by bad people. But one of the things you mentioned is the idea of more transparency. You know, blockchain transactions, they're so su- So if you have a good forensic analyst who can track wallets and addresses, you actually have every single transaction that can be traced, which is uh, actually more transparent than the current financial system, which which has a lot of obscurities and and opaqueness. So um, I think that privacy tools will be built on top of Bitcoin for the average user who, let's face it, the average person just wants to be able to keep their information private, not to hide something. There's a difference between privacy and secrecy right? bad. The bad guys want to keep things secret. Good people just want to be able to have their, their information and their transactions be private and not have Uncle Sam looking over their shoulder. So I think that this is a, an ongoing conversation. We're going to see a lot of developments in the space. But overall, I would actually agree with what you said, that Bitcoin and blockchain is more transparent than the current system.
1: Yeah. And, and the folks that I've been talking to in the spaces, we've been digging into that piece in it. Uh, have echoed the sentiments that you just shared of being very frustrated that all of these pieces are being conflated because we've actually seen the the forensic accounting that you mentioned in the SBF trial. That's how a lot of the funds, the customer funds that have been uh, gotten back, um, that forensic accountants have used in order to prove out the fraud. It's because a lot of these transactions. Were taking place on the blockchain, and you know, you you kind of, if you're an outsider, you're thinking, "Oh, crypto, I don't really understand it. It's kind of murky. Um, it seems like it's used to to hide." But I think the point that you made of making that distinction between privacy and secrecy is a mm-hmm. really good one, um, because it's it's actually I'm finding that it can be far more transparent than some of the traditional. Um, illicit financing uh, means <laughs> right. that we've seen in the past. I do want to get your take, though, on kind of an offshoot of, of that, which is that one of the the reasons, whether it's, it's crypto or it's good old cash, that people will go to uh, other countries that have, let's say, regulation that's more friendly to hiding in this case uh, certain financial transactions. Uh, I won't name names when it comes to countries, but you know I, I think we we can all know what I'm talking about here. but what I'm one thing that did come up when i was I was speaking to folks in about this you know Hamas uh, crypto piece is that some of these exchanges might be in located in a country that does have more friendly regulations when it comes to hiding your money. And so I'm curious, then, this sort of brings us to regulation. Do you feel like there needs to be more of a a global coming together when it comes to standards? Because it's one of the things that I find very attractive about cryptocurrency that, you know, you can instantly transfer something across borders, right? The, the, the Bitcoin or, or whatever it is across borders is very attractive, um, but it can also make it such that it lands in a country that may have a very different regulation or approach to cryptocurrency than here in the U.S. or wherever we're talking about. So what's your perspective on kind of that, that global approach and whether we need one?
0: Yeah, you know, Bitcoin is a global borderless asset, and I think that this is one of the reasons why the United States needs to be a leader and lead by example, because that's that's the way that it's been with other technologies and certainly with the Internet. So if the United States leads by creating a rules of the road that's, that's fair, that's reasonable, that's not an overreach, that's what we want to prevent – then I think a lot of other countries will follow. I don't see a situation, even if it looks like there are maybe "quote unquote" friendlier jurisdictions today. I don't see any country being one that just allows illicit financial activities and unregistered securities because they're in the long run going to get into a lot of trouble. And I think a lot of them are actually looking to see what the United States regulators do. Um, at the same time, again, I'm someone who believes in in actually returning to a sense of free market capitalism mm-hmm. and having the free markets be the referee, as opposed to too much government intervention. So I think the rules of the road need to be a framework, but one that's that's fair and healthy um, and allows for for innovation. And so I think that this will continue to to play out. But the, uni- but the United States really needs to step up because that's why so many of these companies have decided to go offshore, including right. FTX, um, <laughs> because they were allowed to get away with more. But what was the result? A lot of people were fleeced, rug pulled, and lost their money. So people really need to be very, very careful because once you go overseas, um, you know, you're, you're going to have trouble perhaps getting your money back or taking the, the, the uh, legal measures in order to try to fight back against something like that.
1: And to that point, I I think a lot of folks in the industry that I've spoken to as well are looking for the U.S. to take more of a leadership role, Um, I mean, Lord, not just in crypto, but in in AI, really in in any of these emerging technologies where the rules of the road aren't clear, um, like the U.S. has done in the past. And so I I kind of put the question on you, what, what would you like to see, because from what i'm I'm hearing from you, it's it's really a, a tough balance to strike, right? it's It's a thin line in terms of wanting that regulation, wanting those rules of the road, but also not wanting uh, Congress to react or overreact and have too much regulation uh, and too much oversight and kind of undercut the the beauty and the best things about, a cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and, and everything about the space that draws people towards it. So what are what are some specific things that you're looking that you would like to see from Congress when it comes to regulating the space? Well, I think the folks
0: in Washington should be really excited about something like Bitcoin because so many people in our country are really having a tough time making ends meet. And this is the best performing asset of the last decade and should really be viewed as the most powerful savings technology so that people can plan for their future so that they can take care of their families because we need a return to a country where the American economic prosperity is a beacon of hope for the rest of the world. And we've lost a lot of that. I think they should also prioritize privacy, you know, imagine if every single um, Congress person's bank account was just out there for everyone to see how much everybody had and what transactions they were making, oh, you know, well, maybe ab- obscure it with a pseudonymous <laughs> number, right? But if you could figure out which one was Nancy Pelosi's or Mitch McConnell's, right, you could do some digging and 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 nobody wants all of their private information sure. out there. And we, we have a right to privacy, like I said, not secrecy, but privacy in this country. Um, but I am really optimistic. Because I took a trip to Washington, DC to help educate our legislators just a couple months ago. And I was expecting to have to do a lot of legwork in terms of defining the difference between Bitcoin and crypto and the opportunities in this space. And most of the offices, I'll be honest with you, they understood. They really did. Mm. And they're just looking for an opportunity to, to, to come back and uh, be able to put some put some legislation forward. And obviously, there's just been a little bit of a gridlock. Um, and certainly on the SEC side, we've just seen a lot of friction between the regulators and these exchanges. Now, mm. I can kind of understand that, right? Because the exchanges, if, if you had a, a bunch of tokens and, and companies issuing tokens, they don't want to have to go through the legwork. Of you know, filing all these disclosures and hiring a team of lawyers that gets very, very expensive. So they're saying this is a very different technology; it should be regulated differently. The SEC is basically like, no, this this pretty much much fits securities law from 1933. It might be old, but it sticks and it fits. So um, you've got to come in and register. And so I don't know who's going to solve that gridlock. I think Congress is going to have to step in and do something. But from everything that I've seen, they are very, very um, educated on the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay. Bitcoin is the one with the most clarity. And Bitcoin is a
1: great opportunity for the American people to save. I am so heartened to hear you say that because that's been one of my big fears when you have you know, uh, Congress folks that aren't necessarily, you know, well versed maybe in in a particular technology, we're certainly seeing that play out uh, with social media, where where folks are are kind of reactive in terms of regulations and protecting children and and you know the the cats out of the bag or Pandora's box is open, however you want to say it. When it comes to things like that and i've been looking at the crypto industry wondering that same thing that if the the folks who are going to be making these decisions are they educated enough mm-hmm. um but it sounds like from your experience that that you were pleasantly surprised so that makes me that makes me uh, feel very good <laughs> so i'm glad that you yeah. shared that um well and it, and it should be a
0: slow process it should be really thoughtful because again if you overreach if there is a chance that you take it too far, sometimes we can never get those freedoms back. Right. right. I mean, and we've seen some of that with even like the Patriot Act and people I think are becoming more and more aware of how much information they're putting out there and who has access to it. And when it comes to your finances, obviously people want that to be private and they want to be able to be able to store their value
1: into the future. Right. Well, the the final question that I have for you, and I think I know your answer, <laughs> but <laughs> let's say uh, our you know our listeners have been intrigued by the space. They're listening to all of the things about the SBF trial, and they you know want to invest a little bit. Uh, not not put the whole house, not bet the whole everything uh, on the crypto market. But where would you suggest people invest? I'm assuming it's Bitcoin, uh, but and, and kind of how much, you know, of, of one's portfolio uh, do you think, especially as you're trying out the space? Yeah, I mean, I, I always think that
0: people have to do their homework and just start small. You can stack sats is how we call it, Satoshis <laughs> or fractions of a Bitcoin. You don't need to have enough for one entire Bitcoin. That's often a misconception. Mm. But, you know, have some skin in the game, you know, dip your toe in and start to learn about it and learn about the technology. So I think that, you know, personally, I spend as much as I would spend on a coffee every single day. I put it into Bitcoin so that Mm. I can, I can save. And, and I think that people should start to think, you know, is our current system with all of this debt sustainable? What, what direction is this going in? Do I think that there's even a 1% chance that these Bitcoiners are right, that this is you know, the monetary version of the internet, well, maybe I'll put 1% in. Maybe that 1%, just by appreciation, will grow to 5%, which has happened for so many people. But I just think you need to start small and you should not be at a zero allocation. I think this is a huge opportunity for people because we really are in a system, you know, money is a ledger. We really are in a system where they just expand the ledger at the stroke of a key, they add more units to the system, which dilutes everybody else's. Inflation is a tax, especially on hard hardworking Americans. Bitcoin is the opportunity to move to a system with an honest ledger that's based on code and math. It's ethical money. No one can control it. No one can manipulate it and just add units to the system. In order to have Bitcoin, you need to either buy it or expend energy in order to mine it. There is no issuer. There is no counterparty risk like there are with so many of these other cryptocurrencies. And so I really urge people to take the time to educate themselves. And I am here to help.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I I like that future, you know, that picture that you painted, because I think you're right. There's a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of frustration about our current financial system, and people are looking um, for other alternatives. So I like that. You know, start small. Um, I've started small. I've had to not look (laughs) for a long time at what's going on because I think with the fluctuations, right. With anything, right. You put your money in the stock market. It's the same thing. You start to get that pit in your stomach, but I I like the way you framed it up. I'm going to think about that more often, how much you would spend on a coffee, uh, you know, start there, maybe put that and, and see it as an experiment, almost an education, right. In terms of getting yourself comfortable with the different options that are out there. So Great advice, Natalie. As always, always love listening to you break things down. So we appreciate uh, your time joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. right folks that does it for today thanks for listening of course remember to subscribe and tune into future episodes we are dropping every monday and wednesday and you are certainly not going to want to miss the next one because if spf does take the stand as his defense is uh, planning to call him to testify we are going to be breaking down every little thing that he says in the next episode all right bye for now